Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years. This week on the Farming Programme, we get to know the new CEO at Waldmarsh, Heather Claridge. At some point in time, you know, the, the mentality where you need instant gratification for pricing and being able to place an order, just like you do on the internet right now, is going to come into the world of farming. And have an early look at a tractor with no cab, no seats and no driver. You press a button onto this console you're holding and then the robot then knows it's in automatic mode and that's it. And then it will drive itself to the start point in the field and then you just walk away and leave it and it will then tell you when it's finished the field. Plus farming news, some timely agronomy advice and the week's market reports. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, some good news for sugar beet farmers to start. NFU Sugar and British Sugar have this week announced a beet price of £40 per tonne for the 23-24 contract year, a 48% price increase on last year. The offer also includes a number of new options for growers to consider as part of the contract, the choice to purchase a yield guarantee product that protects income against yield losses, a futures-linked variable price contract for up to 20% of the contracts and a local premium for growers with within 20 miles of a British sugar factory, plus revised multi-year prices and the option of a cash advance. And all growers with an existing 2023 commitment will automatically receive an upgrade to £32 per tonne from 25, and you can upgrade this further to £40 a tonne if you commit to grow sugar beet in 2024. Recently on the farming programme, we heard about Farm Droid from Opico. Congratulations to them as they received a silver award for innovation from the Royal Highland Agricultural Society of Scotland. And at the recent Lincolnshire show, I bumped into John Smith from Louth Tractors, old friend of the programme, who had some news. We do. We've agreed a deal in principle with Sharman's Agriculture at Grantham to take over the staff, assets and business at Louth Tractors. So what's prompted this then, John? We're having to compete with large chains of dealerships, big corporate businesses. We're a small family business that does a good job, service parts and support, but we just do not have any buying power. So what will happen to Laos and to the staff and to the business? How will it be operating in future? Much the same. Hopefully the customers won't see any difference whatsoever. So all the staff are going to Sharman's. In the short term, the business will stay on the same site. Nothing will change the same brands. There may be a few additional brands but all the brands we support will still be supported so to the staff and customers this is the best possible news in that they're all going to be in the same place with the same job with the support of a much larger broadly based company which is also a Lincolnshire family business. Humorously I said this morning that the only person losing the job at Last Tractors is me. <laughs> and on that note, John Smith, good luck for the future. Oh uh, yeah, don't worry. It's a couple of big projects on the way. And thank you for your support over all the years. And at the show, I also found Andrew Ward, not surprisingly, as he's just about everywhere I go. He's been looking at a new autonomous tractor. Interesting machine, Andrew. It is very interesting, Steve, and it's something that is going to be coming in agriculture. It's a company called Agzeed, and they've got two at the minute. They've got one on wheels and one on track, and the one on tracks is the one that I actually saw working. It's 156 horsepower, so it's not a big horsepower. It weighs about 7.5 tonnes, so yeah, quite, quite light, which is the idea of these things, is to go lighter because we've been doing damage to the soil with heavy tractors, using a lot of fuel. This tractor has a 300-litre uh, fuel tank, and they say in normal conditions that 
that will last 20 hours which is incredible because obviously losing less fuel is what we need to do um, and the whole aspect of it I think is where we agriculture is heading. Now the tractor will do pretty much what a normal tractor will do but I'm guessing there must be a certain amount of work to set things up in the first place you can't just set it off going along it's going to need to get to the end and turn around or do something else how much do you have to set up before you set it going yeah you're, you're quite right you go on the laptop for a start and uh, and go into the settings on there just like you would if you sat in the cab but the very first thing to do is to map the perimeter of the field so it's got the uh, coordinates it's got the boundaries you then go onto your laptop and you've got like a cab setting so you'd set your forward speed you'd set your turning speed you'd set your hydraulic oil pressure speed um, all those things that a normal tractor you would do when you're turning and things at the end and then you put your start point of the field and then you also mark on the screen the finish point you then have like a gaming console like an xbox gaming thing with a load of two joysticks on and a few buttons and then you drive it on your xbox type control into the field and there's a whole row of led lights front and back they're yellow when it's not autonomous and the minute they go green it knows then it's picked up the satellites and it's locked on to it knows what it's doing once it's gone green you pressed a button onto this console you're holding and then the robot then knows it's in automatic mode and that's it and then it will drive itself to the start point in the field and then you just walk away and leave it and it will then tell you when it's finished the field. Given that you've got to do all this setting up, does it actually save time compared to you actually sitting in the cab of the tractor? Well, you, you'd think that, there is, that that would be the natural thing. You know, I'm not going to save any time. But when you get used to doing this, these settings would take you five minutes to do. But a farm would have two or three of these and one person would control the three of them. And so he would set one up, leave that running, set another one up and leave it running. But the thing with them is you can't take them on the road they do need to be uh, moved on a low loader so you do have to have a conventional tractor on the farm you have to have a conventional trailer on the farm and all that so you still have to do that but the machinery on the back is smaller but again obviously it doesn't need to stop for a coffee break it doesn't need to stop for lunch but i guess it will <laughs> retain those settings so you need to use it in the field again a few weeks later yes. presumably you can just take it to that field and press the button and off it goes exactly. again exactly you can it's got a memory and it'll do all that so cost of this machine is 220,000 which sounds a lot but in the grand scheme of things if you think it can work 24 hours a day without somebody there or one person who can manage it you know and a, a, a decent bloke's now pay would be now be 40 grand a year maybe how would that compare to a, a, a comparable tractor price-wise yeah well 156 horsepower comparable tractor would be less than that you would be less than that steve there's no doubt i don't know probably 140 or 50,000 maybe somewhere like that so you have got a premium yes so it's probably going to pay for itself comparably over yes. two or three years. Yes. That's right, that's right. It will definitely, yes. Yeah. So it's, it's the, I think it's coming, Steve. It might be a few years off before you see them generally, but it just shows it's a start. And that company again was? Agzeed. All right, Andy, thank you. Lovely. Thanks very much, Steve. You can find out more at Agzeed. That's A-G-X-E-E-D dot com. Time for some timely agronomy advice from our crop doctor, Sean Sparling. Autonomous tractors, eh? Whatever next. Morning, Sean. Yes, very good morning to you, Steve. Yeah, autonomous tractor. That will not be any good to Wardy. There'll be nobody to tell they're not doing it right if he's got an autonomous tractor. Still, far more time for him to spend looking in that mirror at the person he admires the most. Good morning, Wardy. So, agronomy then. Things starting to alter dramatically and very visually out here. Starting with winter barley, turning quickly in those earlier drillings now. Relatively easy to find grain at less than 30% moisture in some of these early winter barleys. So, if you've got some laid crops, if you've got winter barley that's full of weed or 
volunteer wheat like I saw the other day, then 30% moisture triggers thoughts of getting the glyphosate on as a harvest aid to dry out that greenery and probably most importantly to ensure that the sample goes into the shed clean and free from any of that green stuff. Check with your end user just to make sure they're okay with pre-harvest glyphosate and do not under any circumstances apply glyphosate to a seed crop. Of course, don't forget that. Maximum dose 490 grams or one and a half litres of a 360 gram product. 360 grams is usually sufficient for pre-harvest management. And remember it's not a desiccant, it's a harvest aid. It speeds up that ripening process really. It puts it into fast forward. Glyphosate isn't like diquat. Glyphosate takes a couple of weeks to do its job and that's why it's so important to make sure you plan ahead. Very easy to miss timings and run out of time. So 30% moisture as with all cereals as a rule of thumb is when the grain will hold the imprint of a thumbnail. So if the imprint pops back out it'll be way over 30% and 30% is important because when a cereal's at 30% moisture or less it means that the plant is physiologically ripe and that means the glyphosate won't translocate back up to the ear and then to the grain and the glooms of course on the wheat ears prevent direct grain contact from glyphosate anyway the little envelopes inside which the grain sit in fact less than one percent of any glyphosate that's applied to a field will actually leave the fields 30 percent moisture is the timing some of my spring barleys too drilled early and on the sands or the sands over gravel are similarly advanced so we're watching them too I've absolutely no wheat anywhere close to 30% moisture yet. But again, the early drill, September drill crops are starting to think about giving up too. We've been saying all season that crops are hitting their growth stages two weeks sooner than usual. So it stands to reason they'll finish a little bit earlier too. So we're seeing a lot of chlorosis from nitrogen deficiency in the early drillings on the light or the stony land in particular. And it's not disease, it's just the effect of dry soils and early maturity. So if you think we've only had between eight and nine inches of rain this year in total 28 millimeters i took in june and you add that to the wind and the high temperatures that we've seen over the last couple of weeks it's so dry around the roots in these fields so the early drill crops the sandy soils the low organic matter soils which don't hold so much moisture are really starting to struggle will it be an early harvest well it's cooler for now it's coming a lot warmer again next week i'm certain it'll rain when we don't want it to but you know who knows either yes or no is probably the best answer to that question all seed rape as well continuing to turn glyphosate timings uh, the odd swather getting a bit closer as well remember it's when the seeds in the middle pods are more brown than green that's the timing for glyphosate on all seed rate as an average picture of the field a lot of crops very bleached on the top but green below as i said last week so don't go by calendar date don't go by what you did last year or what your neighbors doing this year get out and have a look there's some purpling as well out here in oilseed rape as well. Could be one of several things. I thought it was actually varietal earlier on. The acacia a couple of weeks ago in particular was doing it on one farm. But it could be a lot of things. It could be mealy cabbage aphid damage. It could be phosphorus, potassium, even nitrogen deficiency. Could just be anthocyanin production. And anthocyanin is a stress hormone. It's the same one that gives the red coloration to Virginia creeper leaves in the autumn. And they have antioxidant properties and they protect the plant from growth issues and growth regulatory issues at this time of year and cell death by reducing the oxidative stress by scavenging what we call reactive oxygen and that lets the plant adapt to the abiotic stress which these conditions cause and these anthocyanins they reduce the photooxidative sunlight and heat injury in the leaf and it's that anti-stress reaction that protects the plant then again could just be the year generally though i think all seed rate pods seem to be good 
they're full there's plenty of them but as in most years the better your rake looks the worse it will probably yield so thankfully i've got a few poorly looking bits once again this year sugar beet not all yellowing out there is virus it can be nutritional it can be capsids if you've got yellow leaf ticks and a scar somewhere down halfway down on the main rib that'll be capsid bugs always worse on the headlands does no harm at all so leave those little bugs alone i'm finding a lot of capsid damage this year there is the odd plant with clear virus out there but they're generally few and far between thanks to the neonicotinoid seed treatments and well-timed insecticides as we started to hit thresholds a little bit earlier on if and where necessary disease levels still minimal in sugar beet by the way weed beet though once pulling or wiping now before it starts to set and drop that seed so monitor that carefully peas and beans now out of flower i haven't seen enough black aphid at threshold in any of my spring beans or winter beans this year and your threshold is one plant in ten colonized so we've dodged that bullet once again so far no need for insecticide on that from me but generally peas and beans are looking pretty good out there spring all seed rape having had a couple of days off from pollen beetle thanks to all the ladies who went to the Lincolnshire show in yellow I saw several of those absolutely plastered in them so now that the Lincolnshire show's over all of those pollen beetle have headed back out to my spring all seed rape which are getting eaten alive good old spring oil seed rape so we need a drop of rain just to fill some of these peas and beans apart from from that let's see what the next seven days bring thank you sean the farming program with araquit steel stockholders withambrook industrial estate gransom for all your steel needs call their friendly experts Agricultural buying group Waldmarsh has a new chief exec, the first woman at the helm in the company's 60-year history. Heather Claridge has been with the company for 11 years, and we met the other day to get to know the new boss. Heather, I'll ask you the inevitable question about being one of the few female chief execs in farming later, but can we start with Waldmarsh? And firstly, what is a buying group? We are officially a cooperative, but actually when you compare a cooperative in the UK to those in France, etc., they're very different. So buying group is a far better um, description of, of what we do. Our team here procure the goods and services that farmers uh, need, whether it, it is fuels or fertilisers, crop assurance, lubricants, anything that a farmer needs. Uh, to to make their business smooth you know we are their one-stop shop they can ring here get everything that they want we have uh, a team of either technically qualified experts or industry qualified experts so we have people who can give informed market commentary to our members and does that give the farmers the advantage of better prices because you've got better buying power overall yes i mean the the one traditional thing about buying groups historically is everybody particularly trade people would expect you to uh, buy at the cheapest price but unfortunately service quality and price uh, go hand in hand and you, you cannot always have the best quality with the best service at the cheapest price so actually whilst we are driving the prices down and aggregating the volumes and having those negotiations maybe even having rebates come back to the members we're not about buy everything as cheaply as possible because we cannot compromise on service and quality of goods that would cause pain to the membership you know a ton of seed isn't cheap if it doesn't turn up when you want to go and drill it and one of the things you mentioned there was fertilizer that's one area that's been an absolute nightmare over recent months hasn't it how is 
price and how is supply with closure of CF? Well, firstly, I would say fertiliser has been my primary background for nearly 30 years. So it is a topic very close to my heart. The way that we work in referencing your comment about buying groups is we plan with our members well in advance what what we think the offtakes are going to be. So, for example, this year with the announcement of CF and that they weren't going to produce their double top and their single top, already in the uh, beginning of April, we'd, we'd contacted our members to say, look, if this is a situation that could occur would you consider these alternatives? And we were warming the members up to say, this is a very real possibility, um, and actually gathering their requirements so we could go into the market early, buy what we needed with our key suppliers, and then actually realise a benefit. The members got security of supply. That is just one of so many challenges around farming at the moment. I don't want to be negative and, and spend the next few minutes talking about, oh, isn't it dreadful being in farming? But there are an awful lot of challenges for farmers to face at the moment, aren't there? Yes, there are. And at the end of last week, we were all waiting with uh, bated breath to find out if there'd been an outbreak of foot and mouth on the Norfolk and Suffolk border. Having lived through that the first time, you know, the, the horror of that couldn't be ignored. So, yes, there are. But there are some some things that... Uh, you know, look exciting. You know, we've got the new uh, sustainable farming incentive. So there, there are opportunities in there. But of course, we're now seeing the grain market slipping on the back of seeing gas prices going up again, uh, which again could cause a little bit of a bottleneck in the market further on. So we are in challenging times. What of the future? I mean, we've talked about some of the challenges facing farming. What's your vision for Waldmarsh and what's your crystal ball gazing for the future of farming? Well, certainly for, for Waldmarsh, we need to adapt and evolve to the changing needs of farming. We've also got to be very aware of the changes in technology and also the changing workforce. So, you know, we are starting to see Generation Z about to enter the workforce, gig economy, different attitudes. And here at Waldmarsh, we have a staff base going right from baby boomers down to our first Gen Z person. And melding all that to, together is important. Uh, we've commissioned projects to find out how we need to adapt as a, an organisation to attract talent for the future. And that is going to be one of the biggest challenges we face is, is actually getting good people into the organisation. Recruitment is difficult everywhere presently. At some point in time, you know, the, the mentality where... You need instant gratification for pricing and being able to place an order, just like you do on the internet right now, is going to come into the world of farming. It, it's happening in, in, in certain areas, but not across the key input areas. But as demographics change and, and young people come into the farming world and take over the farms, they have been brought up with that as technology as standards, where we're mere adopters of it. But that is how they are. And we need to make sure that we're moving and understanding that and, and we're not a dinosaur that becomes irrelevant. So we have those challenges to face. We'll hear more from Heather next week when we'll get her thoughts on being at the top and a woman. To the markets now with First Louth Livestock Markets auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Morning, Oliver. Good morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth, Monday the 27th of June. Starting with the prime cattle, slightly smaller entry, however, another strong trade. See steers top at 258 pence per kilo, 
Gross £1,558 for F. Wallace and Son of Biscothorpe. Prime heifers sell to a top of £265 per kilo and gross £1,481 for J.C. Scolia Bormba. Just a pair of OTM heifers on offer from A.H. Benj of Goldsby topped at 130 pence per kilo and sold to £648 per head. On to the lambs, uh, exactly the same number on offer this week. However, trade just falling back in line with the national average with an SQQ of 290.44 pence per kilo with plenty of grass-fed lambs mixed amongst those just not quite seeing the same top prices and have just lost their backs a little bit. GW Allison of Thorsway top at 318 pence per kilo, while Scrivelsby Farms Limited top at 140 pounds per head. Handful of prime hogs on offer sold to a top of 234 pence per kilo, or 100 pounds per head for AJ Colson and Sons of Osgoby, to leave an SQQ of 230.38 pence per kilo. Finally, cool use from another strong show forwards or another strong trade with a top for NA Ruby of Boston at 192 pounds per head to leave an all-in average of 127 pound and 54. A huge thank you to everyone that's been and supported us this week, both buyers and vendors. Tomorrow, both Prime and Cool Cattle and Prime and Cool Sheep are required to meet by demand. Please do not hesitate to contact me to discuss all marketing options. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Loud Market. Thank you. Thanks, Oliver. And the weekly grain market report now with Openfield's Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. This week, global economic concerns continue to provide headwinds for equity, energy and commodity markets in general, with institutional money reducing its exposure to the agricultural products. More talk of meetings to discuss export corridors as Russia continues to pound Ukrainian cities and civilians with little or no progress is being made. Poland have stated that shipping large volumes of Ukrainian grain in the next six months is unrealistic, as they deal with their own harvest and export programme, which will also apply to Romania, Bulgaria and Hungary. International wheat demand cranked up by many importers launching tenders, including Algeria and Egypt, who bought 750,000 and 825,000 respectively. The EU is expected to do the lion's share of the business, although Algeria buys the optional option. But French looks like the most likely beneficiary at the current price differentials. Egyptian purchase was their largest in 13 years and covered the period for August, September and the first half of October and included 360,000 tonnes of French, 240,000 tonnes of Romanian, 50,000 tonnes of Bulgarian and 175,000 tonnes of Russian wheat. There is talk that there will be no change to the Russian export tax calculation which will increase the baseline price and will be quoted in rubles which, if correct, would reduce the tax. Although at this stage it is unclear who benefits from that, the farmer or the shipper. Weather concerns continue to be a feature in the US and they vary depending on which weather forecast you follow. US maize crop conditions fell 3% this week, although the consensus appears that there are no major concerns at present. Much will depend on the critically important July forecast when the crop enters the pollination stage, which the US market will be focused on on their return from the 4th of July long weekend. The EU wheat crop is getting smaller, with Spain, Portugal, Italy, France, Bulgaria, Romania and Hungary all looking lower than expected. Black Sea region has turned drier, whilst Argentina is also experiencing prolonged drought. One last hurdle to overcome tonight is the USDA's June acreage and quarterly stocks report, which will be known to be a market mover. Buckle up and sit tight. The ride has only just begun. Looking at barley, harvest has arrived in the UK for winter barley with some very, very early cutting taking place on lighter land across the UK. It's still much too soon to take any real analysis from the samples so far, but winter crop is showing promising signs in terms of quality, whilst yield will remain a mystery for a while yet. 
As mentioned in the previous report, malting barley prices from the 2022 remain slightly off the top as global commodity complex takes stock of recent declines and the derivative markets. That said, premiums are historically high with farmers reluctant to sell forward before they know what they may have. Premium could come under pressure as we move further towards harvest and the quality and quantity becomes known. Oilseed rope, the market is starting to recover from sharp losses. Last Friday saw support from the Matif and Chicago markets on the back of poisoning and bargain buying, rebounding from an eight-month low. Monday was a weak start to the week with pressure coming from the overnight Chicago and Sterling sell. Tuesday closed up with support from Chicago crude oil strength. On Wednesday, Matif Rapeseed reversed the early losses, making it the highest close of the week. Domestic bids continue to improve and sellers remain absent, so the UK market remains very slow at present. Moving on to prices, July old crop wheat, please speak to your open field farm business manager. But moving on to new crop for August, 240 to 250 pounds off the combine. November, 262 to 268. February, 265 to 270. And May, 268 to 273. Milling wheat premiums are currently circa 45 pounds. Feed barley for August, September 225 to 230, November 235 to 240, February 238 to 243, and May 240 to 245. Malting barley premiums are currently £85. Oilseed rape, July, August 565 to 575, November 575 to 585, February 578 to 588, and lastly, May 23, 580 to 590 pounds. Thanks as ever, Kit. The Farming Programme, five-day forecast. After today, when we may see some light rain, another mostly dry week with high pressure, gentle westerlies and daytime temperatures in the mid-twenties, patchy cloud but plenty of sunshine all week, nice summer week. Next week on the Farming Programme, we'll look ahead to the Great Yorkshire Show and hear more from Waldmarsh's new Chief Exec, Heather Claridge. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a good one. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.